1: Oh, What's up, Rebels? Hope you're having a great day. Man, I'm having a good week. We have got some good pod on the schedule for this week. We have our friend Suzanne Stabile on the podcast today talking about the Enneagram. I know you've been hearing about that. Oh my goodness. I was at breakfast this morning talking about Enneagram with a friend of mine. Suzanne Stabile is an expert. Let me tell you, expert at the Enneagram. Today's podcast is brought to you by SaveTheStorks.com, my favorite pro-life organization. Helping moms with crisis pregnancies, unplanned pregnancies by providing mobile ultrasound units to pregnancy resource centers around the country. More than four out of five women choose life for their babies when they hear a heartbeat and see an ultrasound on a stork bus. Find out more at SaveTheStorks.com. Let's jump into it. Here is Suzanne Stabile on today's episode of Rebel Parenting, talking about the Enneagram. Rebels, we've got a great program for you today. We have Suzanne, is it stable? How do you pronounce your last name? Stabile. Stabile.
2: Stabile. Awesome. Suzanne Stabile. Italian.
1: And Um, she has written a book called The Path Between Us, and it is an Enneagram journey to healthy relationships. I got to tell you, I am thrilled that you're on with us. I have dug into the Enneagram a little bit. I've done the test. Laura's done the test. Producer Kay did the test. My friends have done it. And we are thrilled. For those that don't know what Enneagram is, for those living under a rock, start with that. And then with your journey to the Enneagram, how did you find it? How did this impact your life? Why is it so important that you've written a book about it? All
3: right. Well, I'll start with the Enneagram is essentially nine ways of seeing. And processing information. Mm. And the idea that we're all pretty much the same is just inaccurate. We look the same and we do some of the same things, but your Enneagram number is determined by motivation and not by behavior. So it's very difficult to label other people correctly. So we ought not do that. (laughs) And it's very helpful once you recognize that with all the people in the room, observing and experiencing the same thing it's not being received in the same way Mm. but Mm. in a miraculous reality it is being received in one of nine ways and then responded to in one of those nine ways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my journey to the Enneagram is that I um I'm 68 and I've been teaching for 25 years And I learned the Enneagram from Richard Rohr, who encouraged me to study it for five years before I started teaching. So I've been deep
2: in the Enneagram for 30 years.
3: Wow.
1: Wow. That is fantastic. My goodness. Why
2: did he suggest you study it for five years before you even start teaching it?
3: Well, I think because I'm married to a former Catholic priest Uh and he and my husband had very similar journeys as high school seminarians and beyond. And he was our spiritual mentor for years and a good friend. And he said, I think you get this intuitively. Mm. And he said, your best gift is synchronicity. And I think if you study it for five years before you start talking about it, you'll go deeper and you'll connect it to the other things that you know about, mm-hmm. and it will change how and what you teach in the years that follow. That
2: mm-hmm. oh wow!
3: So I said okay.
2: Yeah, well, great I, you advice.
3: Know, I, well, I have a ton of respect for him, so why wouldn't I do what he suggested? Of course. So I think that's one of the reasons that so much of my work is enneagram as it applies to other things like anagram oh. and relationships mm. and parent parenting. And, you know, knowing your anagram number, unless you know how to apply it, I'm not quite sure what good that does. Yes. You know, it's kind of fun cocktail talk or maybe a shortcut to getting to know people a little bit, mm-hmm. but once it's applied, it's mystical, I think. And mm. so there's, if there's this wisdom that has been around for thousands of years, even though nothing was published until the 1970s, then surely it has great value in oral tradition and great application mm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's my journey. Oh, that's
1: fantastic. You said something in the beginning that stands out. It, it, that's It's one of those things. You said it's motivation, not behavior. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit.
3: Well, we all do the same things. So I'll give you an example. So my husband, Joe's a nine and I'm a two. And we had hoped that we could raise our children in what we call in the United Methodist Church town and country ministry. He's been a United Methodist pastor for 30 years following being with the Vincentian fathers since he was 14. Mm. And we kind of wanted to raise our kids. Joe's a cowboy and he likes to ride and rope and we like rural life. So it turns out that East Texas, we were a little too liberal and one of us was too verbal. And that was, of <laughs> course, me. But we did have a really great experience for about three years. And and we were 40 miles from a Walmart and food other than pizza and such. Or we had two restaurants in this little town. Uh, pizza in such was one of them. And El Sombrero was the other one. Oh, yeah. So once a week, we would take our four kids and go to this larger town that was about 40 miles away. And we went out to eat, and that was the only time during the week ever. So Joe and I let the kids vote on where they wanted to eat. And Joe loves barbecue, so he would have always chosen that. And I like a variety of things. I would have chosen something different every time. Yeah. But our children voted unanimously every time to have pizza. <laughs> so um, we would drive the 40 miles and the children had voted and we would have pizza. Now, the thing that's interesting about that is that as a nine, Joe let them vote because he doesn't like conflict. So he would do anything to avoid conflict. I let them vote because I wanted them to want me as their mom and to think I'm a cool mom. So we did exactly the same thing, but we did it for two completely different reasons,
2: Mm.
1: different motivations. And the reason is the motivation. So so it's not based off behavior. uh,
3: No. Mm -hmm. So then on the way, while we're on the way, nines merge. With other people, they think other people's voices are louder than theirs. They think other people's Mm. desires are more important than theirs. And so for all of life, they, unless it involves their integrity, Mm. they just merge with whatever other people want to do. And you can't, they're not prone to peer pressure. You can't talk them into something they don't believe in or don't want to do. But if it's not very important to them, they'll just go along with you. Twos, which I am, can't do that. So by the time we get to the pizza place, Joe, as a nine, wants pizza. He's merged with the kids. He's decided what kind he's going to have, and he's happy as he can be. But I don't merge. I have to adapt. Well, you know, that's different energy
2: mm-hmm. than yeah, merging. For sure.
3: Right? Yeah. So I'm margaring a little bit because I'm having pizza again. And Joe and the children are loving having pizza. So we've done the same thing for different reasons mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. a different outcome. From the outside, it would just look like we all went to have
2: pizza. Sure, sure, sure. So, do you think that there's only a couple motivations for humans? No, or, no, no. I think there are lots, but uh-huh. I think
3: each number is intuitively connected to certain motivations. Okay. I okay. See. Sure. Awesome. Sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, with the enneagram, I remember I went when I was in college um, when I saw the counselor for the first time. I was getting bad grades in a couple subjects and I said, you know, I, I, I've always been told I'm smart and I test out and blah, 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 but I'm getting bad grades and I can't figure it out. And he said, well, let's figure it out. So he put me through every test they had available at that point. I did Myers-Briggs and I did IQ and I filled out number two little bubbles for about a million hours. How is this different from some of the others? How, how do we relate to the Enneagram differently than maybe Myers-Briggs or other strengths finders, things like that?
3: So let me start by saying I, I'm a big fan of anything that helps us know ourselves better. So Amen. I'm not, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think negative to say about any of those. But what I do want to say is that I don't know what to do with that information. Mm. So I'm an ENFJ. It's clear. I'm always going to be an extrovert. I'm feeling dominant. That's who I am. And it's helpful for me to know that. And it's helpful for other people to know that. But in Enneagram wisdom, you can be, at any given time, healthy in your number, average, unhealthy, in excess, mm. or pathological. Wow. And at any given time, you can do something with the information and the wisdom of the Enneagram to be a healthier human being.
2: Mm-hmm. A healthier version and of yourself.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Just by knowing the way you process information and the way you connect with others.
3: And by knowing your orientation to time, which the Enneagram teaches, and by understanding of the three centers of intelligence, which are thinking, feeling and doing, Mm -hmm. which one's dominant for you and which one's repressed for you. And a lifetime of work is bringing up your repressed center. Mm. And we're all doing life with two of three centers. So we're stretched all the time Mm -hmm. and it's possible to have particular spiritual practices based on your growing edge. It's possible to know exactly what you need to do when you feel yourself kind of sliding down from healthy and average into unhealthy. So I am feeling dominant and from me as a two, doing supports feeling. So an example would be Mm. I walk into a room and I pick up on what people feel. That's how I take in information is with feelings first. And my next response is to do something about other people's feelings. Mm. The problem is I don't ever think about whether or not it's mine to do because I'm thinking repressed. I don't think about whether or not I have the capacity to handle whatever it might be. Yeah. Whether I'm committed somewhere else. So the challenge for me every day is to bring up thinking. Just keep bringing up thinking. Mm-hmm. In Enneagram wisdom, we don't push down anything; we bring up. Oh, I like that. And so, yeah. So I have to work on what am I thinking? What am I thinking? What am I thinking? What am I thinking? Mm. Hmm.
1: I like that. Yes, that makes a lot more sense to me. Being an eight, I'm the what is it? Challenger, and I'm a control yeah. freak. And I like to be yeah. domineering. And when it's unhealthy, it turns into anger and manipulation and uh, things like that. That's It's interesting to see. I like that, the wisdom. So you can, I know where I'm at with Myers-Briggs. And the motivation of Enneagram to me has been more helpful recently trying to figure out when I'm heading into the unhealthy areas, when I am when I feel the anger rising and when I feel the heat and all those types of things in me.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can I speak to that? Absolutely. So you are feeling repressed. You have lots of lust and lots of passion. Lust not meaning sexual lust, but you're feeling repressed. And so essentially, you do, and then you think about what you've just done, and then you do something else, and then you think about, and then you do, and then you think. And you are intuitively aware, if not otherwise, that you're feeling repressed. And so you convert most emotions into anger because it's right there on the surface for
1: you. Mm.
3: But what people don't know about you is that after you're angry, it's over.
1: Right. <laughs>
2: and
3: so when have, when have Only an angry, for me, though. <laughs> right. But it could be over for them if they knew that about you. Yeah. They just don't know. So eights, nines, and ones are in the anger triad. Okay. And eight anger is straight up and you're angry, and you express that, and you wait for other people to, and then you go on to the next thing. Nines are passive-aggressive. Nines are passive-aggressive, because they don't like conflict, and ones turn their anger in on themselves first, Mm -hmm. so their anger is expressed as resentment. Those are all three very different to deal
2: with. Yeah, for sure.
3: And all three of you are in the gut triad and you're all doing dominant and you're very different from one another.
1: Mm. And that's so interesting (laughs) because the behavior seems similar. The explosions, the anger, the outburst, the, you know, those pointed comments, things like that seems similar across the board. But when you dig deeper into it, they are very, very different. Hmm.
3: If I'm express anger, as a two on the Enneagram. That's not over for me for days.
1: Huh. And so how has that changed with you and your husband? You know, if you know that about yourself and and he says, oh my goodness, you're angry and it's not going to be over for a few days. How has that changed your relationship and the way that you relate to each other?
3: He says, okay, first of all, let me just tell you, he's the best human being I've ever met. (laughs) He's like really holy, you know, like... I tell everybody uh, when I'm speaking, wherever I am, I introduce Joe, no matter if he's with me or not. And I always say he's good all the way through.
2: Hmm.
3: And I'm not, I'm not good all the way through. Sometimes I'm bitchy. Sometimes I'm manipulative. I'm just not good all the way through. And it just occurred to me about six months ago that nobody has ever argued with me about that. (laughs) So evidently it's true. Oh. <laughs> That's classic. Nobody's ever said, oh, yeah, you are. I, actually, no. But he will say to me if we have a disagreement, you know, this part of this was on my side of the fence. And this other part was on your side of the fence. And we're in a good spot. And I forgive you. So you need to sleep this year. We don't need to talk about it again. You don't need to apologize again. We're done with this. Mm. Hmm. That's because we know the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a piece of how we deal with one another because we know the Enneagram.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
3: A piece of how we deal with one another because we know the Enneagram is that he's passive aggressive. So if I hurt his feelings or if I uh, do something aggressive that he doesn't agree with, then he doesn't say anything. But I office at home and he leaves for the church at different times. And he usually calls me about an hour after he gets to work. Well, if he doesn't call for two hours, then when he calls, I know. Yeah. So I say, everything all right? Like, have I done something? Oh, I, what are you talking about? Mm. Oh, uh-oh, Becky, who's his administrative assistant. He'll say, Becky kind of needs some help right now. I got to go. Well, what that all means is, yes, you hurt my feelings. I'd like for you to figure out what you did. I don't want you to do it again. And I don't want to talk about it.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly.
3: Yeah. And that doesn't work with me right. because I'm a verbal processor. So I send him a text that says, yeah, we can deal with this when you go. Yeah.
1: Oh. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. Hey, I got the hint. We'll have a conversation <laughs> when you get back tonight. How about that?
3: Exactly. Exactly. And then he'll text me back. Cause he would really rather deal with it with a few texts yep. and then just gone with the day.
2: I was at a, like a mops group, like a mom's group this last week uh-huh. and they were doing a little teaching on this and they were saying, she suggested that it's better to not take the test that's online, but to read your book and do it intuitively as a process and as a journey and find out your, your method, because like spend a couple years searching about who you really are versus just take the test and then go look and see what you are. What would you say to that? I'm not a fan of the test at all. Okay.
3: I don't hmm. use it. And I'll tell you why. because I think primarily, I think the best one is the Rizzo and Hudson quiz. It's 140 questions. And I think their work is great. And I've learned a lot from it. Yeah. Having said all that, I don't think you can measure motivation for nine people who are at different stages in life and have had different experiences with 140 questions. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. And the Enneagram was taught orally for thousands of years before anything was ever published. And I think the test is a Western world shortcut <laughs> that doesn't serve us well.
2: It's okay. the Amazon it just Prime. Service well. That's yeah.
3: And so, yeah. Microwave. So here's what I would say about that. Joe and I at times have an institute for spiritual formation. Right now we're doing, I'm doing anagram cohorts and he's doing contemplative practice cohorts. But when we did have the institute, and this is 18 years ago, we would use the test for the first session, and then have everybody go away and observe themselves based on whatever the test said. And then when they came back three months later, I would teach it orally for a day. Okay. And over a number of years and a number of groups, the test was wrong 60-ish percent of the time.
2: Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, that is That's a lot. A, is. That That's a is high... a big finding. Yeah. yeah. So it's so, better just to sink your teeth into this thing and really figure out spend some time figuring out who you are.
3: Well, if you'll do that, it has so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds and like it. And if you don't do that, then the deeper you go, the more confusing the information is.
2: Mm.
1: Sure.
3: Richard Rohr says, uh information is not knowledge and knowledge is not wisdom.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: And the Enneagram offers wisdom, but it's a journey and there's not a shortcut.
2: Oh, I love it. Mm, So you hear that, Rebels, there's no shortcut in this. Yeah. I love
1: it.
0: This is the real deal. Definitely. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Rebel Parenting.
1: Hey, Rebels, this portion of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Save the Storks. Save the Storks helps moms with an unplanned pregnancy, and that's my story. I was an unplanned pregnancy. My birth mom was 16 and faced an uphill battle, and a pregnancy resource center in her area helped her carry me all the way to fruition and then helped adopt me into my family. And Save the Storks helps pregnancy resource centers across the country with stork buses providing mobile ultrasound machines where four out of five moms choose life after seeing their baby on an ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat. Over 6,000 babies have been saved on stork buses. Please support Save the Storks with your prayers and visit SaveTheStorks.com to become a monthly sponsor. Join the movement and help us revolutionize the meaning of pro-life. For more information, visit SaveTheStorks.com.
0: Welcome back to Rebel Parenting. Did you miss us?
1: When people are... I was talking to someone that does a different style personality test, um, and they're doing it with their children. So if you've got younger kids, like we have uh, a six and a 12, almost seven and 12, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: obviously she's not, you know, my six year old isn't reading this book. How do we look at her in this and not use, you know, I've got a filter in front of me. You know, I see, I see the world because I believe I'm right all the time as my eight, And so I mean, here's an example when Lincoln was a baby, Laura saw that he had a vision problem and I argued to high heaven that my son was perfect in every single way. He did not have a vision problem. There was nothing wrong with him. (laughs) And lo and behold, he's been wearing glasses since 18 months as his daddy has horrid vision and, you know, all that. So I'm nervous because I know my tendency is to be right all the time and I don't want to prejudge my children. I don't want to say, oh, well, you're this, and and I've got you all figured out. Uh, I think that would be my normal tendency. So how do I take a step back and really view them so I can get this Enneagram wisdom?
3: I think the Enneagram's primary gift to you right now is to help you be better parents. Awesome. By being healthier yourself, not by knowing what numbers your children are.
1: Hmm.
3: And I think the Enneagram will help you be better parents. I think it helps everybody. Yeah. I have pushed back for a long time about thinking that we know what number our children are, even though your number is well honed by the time you're five and it never changes. So okay, wow. uh, the deal is, though, what is the expression of that? Yeah. Mm. And I'm very iffy about this. So let me just say I am an adopted child. And I uh, for a number. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At birth?
1: Six weeks. I went from uh, birth mother to foster care to adoption.
3: That's cool. My dad delivered me, so I went from womb to adoption. (laughs) But that's a different story. I believe this. I think it's helpful in post-adoption services to have a way of finding out or uh, maybe knowing whether or not children are in antigram language what we call the dependent stance, the aggressive stance, or the withdrawing stance. So I'll talk about that more in a minute if y'all have time. Yep. But yeah, I think that's the I think that's the best we can do is to know what stance they're in.
1: Oh, fantastic. Okay, okay. Yeah.
3: And when I I don't work with anybody under 16, it used to be 18, now it's 16. I don't work with anybody under 16 using numbers, but I do work with children who are adopted with animals.
2: With animals?
3: Yeah. Because animals are, uh, there's a lot more to understand around an animal than there is around a number that children don't understand based on this whole wisdom that we're talking about anyway. Yeah. So I'm happy to tell you what the animals are, if you want, and if we have time. I think... We have to hold very loosely even the animal because some of us will be whatever animal the children around us suggest that we might be in order to belong or to feel like we have place. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in terms of thinking, feeling and doing, that modern work is from Maurice Nicole in the 1940s. And he says that those are the three centers of intelligence. And that was followed with work by Karen Horney, who says that we either move toward people, away from people, or against people. So Uh, if you lay those two things, if you lay those two things on top of the Enneagram, if you start with uh, thinking, feeling, doing, and you lay those three on top of the Enneagram, then what you get is that two, three, and four are doing, are, are feeling dominant five, six, and seven are thinking dominant, and eight, nine, one are doing dominant. Then if you take Karen work- She's Hornay's laughing at me. I'm a
1: doing dominant for sure. Yeah, you when are. In doubt, work harder.
3: Yeah, and that works for you, but not for everybody else. No. So then you take Karen Horneyes' work and you lay that on top mm. of Maurice Nicole's work on top of Enneagram Wisdom, and what you get is in each one of those triads, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one. Yeah. In each one of those triads, there's one that's doing dominant, one that's feeling dominant, and one that's thinking dominant. That's not true. There's one that's doing repressed, one that's thinking repressed, okay. and one that's feeling. Sure, sure. So then what you end up with stances. So you have triads based on what's dominant, thinking, feeling, and doing. You have stances based on what's repressed. Mm. The lifetime work associated with the Enneagram that changes everything is to bring up what's repressed. Oh.
1: And how do you find out what's repressed? Hang on one second. I'm sorry. Listen, Suzanne, I just got to stay and look into the camera deep. Seriously, Rebels, you, I know you all think I'm crazy because I, I get nutty about this stuff. This is so deep. It's so. Only some of you are going to get how deep this actually goes. And only some of you are going to figure out how deep this will go in your relationships with your spouses, with your parents, with your children. This is huge, huge, huge stuff. Huge. It's this foundational to your families. You really want to jump in there. You want to be a huge rebel family. I mean, and here's what I'm having to do is pull all my feelings and thinking and pride and ego out of this stuff and just allow what is to be, allow the repression to be that, to understand the motivation, to see the stance of my spouse, of my children, of myself, of my parents, of those around me. If we can really pull ourselves out and allow the Holy Spirit, the Lord to speak to us through this. I mean, the wisdom. Oh my goodness, Suzanne, this is, this is revolutionary. I know mean, it's been thousands of years and it's some, all of a sudden, and it crazy, you've been doing this for three decades and now it's becoming so popular. You're like, I know it's smart forever. You know, <laughs> I just, I, I just want people to understand. I mean, if you see this book right here anywhere, pick it up. I mean, your life will change through this stuff. Sorry. I, I know I'm interrupting, but wow.
2: Wow.
3: That's one of the best interruptions I've ever had while I was talking. <laughs> so here's what I would say. So let's think about Lincoln and what's your other Lucille. what's your
1: daughter's name? Lucille. Lucille. And
3: who's old? Lucy's oldest. She's young. She's the youngest. She's young. All right. So let's say that Lucy is a withdrawing number, meaning she's a four or five or a nine, which would mean in my language, she's a butterfly or an owl or a turtle. But you, her dad, are a lion. So you want them to be in activities and to go and do and to be social and to be in the world and to achieve and accomplish. But Lucy may wanna play in her room by herself for a while every day. Because she gets energy from withdrawing, not from standing with other people and making connections.
1: By the way, I'm just gonna interrupt for a second. This is my son. I had this conversation okay. with we him this switch morning kids. because yeah, switch it. if you <laughs> it, switch it, it'd be perfect. It is. He, I, I told him this morning, I said, buddy, I can't have you isolated in your room all day. I can't do this. I, we, you know, and, and I have, I'm just, I know I'm interrupting. I've seen that we had a birthday party. We had 15 kids over, we're out in the cul-de-sac We're playing. It's all amazing. And I see him walk in the house and I was like, that's interesting. Why don't you go to the bathroom? And so I just kind of went and checked on him. He's sitting on the couch and I said, you okay, buddy? Because, yeah, I just need a break. And I was like, okay. Uh, you know, he knows himself so well. He really does. He knows himself well. I don't want to crush his spirit. I know I can be so overpowering. Well, let me give you an example. Eights have the most
3: energy of all the numbers. So you have more energy than all the rest of them.
2: Yeah.
3: Nines have the least energy of all the numbers. And the reason they have the least is because they're boundaried internally and externally. Mm -hmm. So they try to keep in anything that would cause conflict and they try to keep out anything that would steal their peace. Mm. But fives have a measured amount of energy. So they wake up every morning with exactly the same amount of energy Mm. and every encounter they have during the day takes some of it. And their intuition is to get home to a lone space before they run out of energy. Uh And it's every phone call, every handshake, every thanks for driving me to school, every encounter. So kids who are withdrawing in that stance, who are doing repress, don't have enough energy to keep up. Mm -hmm. And they know that, but they also recognize that the expectation is that they keep up. That, yep. And, they're trying to avoid conflict
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it's conflictual internally for them.
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But we could flip
3: it. We sure. could flip it and you could have a withdrawing parent and an aggressive child, which would be a three, seven, or an eight. So in my animals, that's an eagle and a monkey and a lion. Yeah. And they want to go and do and accomplish and achieve and play and have fun and be big in the world. And if you have parents who think you need to rest when you don't, who think you need time in your room when you don't, who think you need downtime on Saturdays when you don't, that's the kind of wisdom that the Enneagram has to offer. And I don't Uh... think it's children. You can tell what animal they are, but I do think you can, after observing them for a while,
2: Mm.
3: learn to discern based on their behavior whether or not they are aggressive or withdrawing or dependent.
1: Yeah, I absolutely. And I like that. I like it because it's, I can't stand it when someone labels their child. You know, like we meet couples and we coach people like, Oh, my son's OCD. I'm like, Oh, have you been to a psychiatrist? And, and they, well, no, but you know, he's I, I've read and da da da. He's It's like, Ooh, do you say that in front of them? Like, are, have you told them yeah. this is their identity? Cause I, I hope not. And we want our kids to be free. We want them to be themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I'm just going to throw it out there because all of us rebels struggle with this. Parenting produces anxiety and guilt and fear mm. because you don't know if you're doing a good job until it's far too late and they're grown. And then what's happening? And, and especially right. when you're in the faith world because you're attaching eternity and belief systems to all these things. And I like that you're allowing parents. One of the things you know we like, Paul Tripp, parenting is a lifetime journey. My parents are still yeah. my parents, whether I right. want it or not, they're parents and I can get value from that. And we don't have to rush so quickly to figure every single thing out to say, oh, I know exactly who you are. and This is how you're going to behave. And this is what we're going to do. And this is what you're going to be and everything's going to be fine. Of just slowing it down. Letting mm-hmm. ourselves and them take that breath. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: think
3: children show themselves to us if we allow them to. If, if they have the space. And if we listen to them, they tell us who they are. So I'm going to do two things. I have no ground to stand on to say what I'm fixing to say. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician. I'm not any of that. I'm the mother of four. I have nine grandchildren. And I am an Enneagram master teacher. So I got that. Amen. I also have a child who would not have done well without being on medication as a child. So I'm not opposed to that. Having said that, I think we have too many kids who are on medication. And I'm not saying which kids. I'm just saying I think there are too many. Amen. And I believe, based on Enneagram wisdom, that we have a tendency toward labeling little kids who are ones as obsessive compulsive. That they have to have everything right. They line up their toys or they have some part of their life where everything is ordered. So I have a grandson who is 11, and I think he might be a one on the Enneagram. I don't know. For now, I think he's a worker bee. That's what I see in him, and that's the animal for <laughs> one. And as an infant, as a little bitty kid, he would take his pacifier out of his mouth and put it in the little container that it came in to leave it in the car seat in the car when his mom dropped him off at daycare. Wow. None of my other grandchildren would give that thought, right? So I could pick out one behavior and say, I think that's it. But that's foolishness.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm.
3: Here's what I know. His name is Noah. And here's what I know about Noah. He needs to hear that he is good. Mm -hmm. And he needs to hear it without having to ask for it. Mm -hmm. And that's true of all ones on the
1: Enneagram. That's true of every child that's ever been born <laughs> since Cain and Abel. Right. Cuz Adam and Eve weren't right. born, but they needed it too. This is the truth. Suzanne, I was at a rehab center not long ago and we were talking to people and this was forced and so everybody committed crimes and a friend of mine was there speaking and he said, "Hey, does anybody here need to be told when you're blowing it and messing up, does anybody not know when you're hurting someone's feelings, when you're ruining your life, when you're breaking the law, does anybody not have a concept of right and wrong and know when you're need, do you need to be told no one ever raises their hand everywhere we go? No one ever raises their hand. And if you ask the opposite Do you know you're good? Do you know you're loved? Do you know you're appreciated? Do you need to be told when you're doing good? Do you need to be told when you're appreciated? Every hand will go up because we don't hear it. We hear the negative in our head. We hear the negative from fearful, scared parents worried that your kids are going to go to hell or do the wrong thing or make you look bad. And so we constantly keep harping on what kids are doing wrong or what your spouse is doing Mm -hmm. wrong and not on You're loved. You're special. I think the sun and moon rise from you. Yeah. Mm.
3: Okay. So now I got a lot to say. So I'm going to start with going through the other numbers that I think we may label inappropriately. Mm. Okay. So I feel sure that we label fours as bipolar (laughs) or bipolar light or bipolar type two. We meaning some people. I feel real sure that we used to label introverted fives as having Asperger's, and now that's included in being on the spectrum, which is a, it's a big thing to say about somebody if you don't know what you're...
2: Yes, talking
3: about right? yeah,
1: for sure. Thank you for saying that. Thank it's you a for su- huge, yeah, that is huge, huge thing to tell a small child without any diagnosis, without any right. background. Oh, my child's on the spectrum. Oh, really? How's yeah. that going to turn out if it's not true? What kind of betrayal will they feel as they get older and have been labeled in this way? You know, we do that with strong-willed children, though. My sister was super strong. Well, I'm getting there. Okay, sorry. Okay. No, 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 wait. A-
3: so, sevens. I think we diagnose our label as ADHD, eights as oppositional defiant, nines with ADD. Now, I'm not saying that those disorders don't exist. I'm not saying they don't need to be treated. I'm not saying that I'm opposed to medication with therapy to treat them. Mm -hmm. I am saying that we loosely use language that we don't, understand. Mm -hmm. And I think any ram wisdom offers us some insight into what could be happening that might not be quite that extreme. And that if allowed to be, kids will learn how to manage themselves. Mm. Yes. Ryan, you went through things that kids need to hear and you said you are good and you're special and you're loved. So let me just tell you that according to Rizzo and Hudson, ones, all ones need to hear you're good mm. because that's their lost message. Mm. And four's lost message is that you're known and understood for who you are. Mm. And fours are the most unique number on the Enneagram. I'm pretty sure there are fewer of them than any other number. I think it's a miracle when they can work every day with a seven and an eight. <laughs>
2: It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo!
1: Oh, she has been our saving grace for two. We straight wouldn't be where years. we are
2: today
3: without her. It's true. No kidding. You're both feeling repressed, and she's feeling dominant in spades. So y'all need to send her flowers or something. So here's what I think. I think the enneagram has a lot to offer, and it has nothing to do with assigning numbers to children.
2: I see. Yes. yes.
3: Now that I've said all that, I've stayed away from this, but my children uh, have known the Enneagram for most of their lives. My oldest has known it for, she's 40, and she's known the Enneagram since she was 19, I think. Mm. And she and her husband, who's known it since he was 19 as well, Mm. they are doing some teaching now for us in life in the Trinity Ministries. And they're working on Enneagram and Parenting.
1: Ooh, fantastic. Within the guidelines.
3: Yeah. Within the guidelines of what we think is an honest way to best use this wisdom to help parents whose earnest and holy desire is to be the best parents they can be for their children.
2: That's wonderful. Wow. I'd love to have them on.
1: We definitely want to talk about it. Absolutely. Because, you know, what you said in the beginning, when I was saying, you know, parents try to place numbers on their kids and figure out what they are and all that. And you're like, stop, don't do any of that. Figure out what you are. Let it work on you, which will allow you to be a better parent, regardless of what number you figure out or don't figure out your child is. The better you can be as a parent, that's what we talk to parents all the time. If you want your kids to have a good marriage, work on your marriage. If you want your kids to be good at finances, work on your finances. you want your kids to be spiritual, work on your spirituality. you want your kids to be, you know, work out, work out, eat healthy, eat healthy. All those things flow down if they see the important things in your life. And this is allowing us to be better parents, to not try to figure our kids out, but to figure ourselves out so we can look at their motivations and figure out, hey, you need to be told you're good or you need to be told, hey, I see you. I see you. I know you, man, you're unique. One of my big problems of being adopted was before my son was born, I had never known another human being I was biologically related to. Right. Me too. I've been there. I was desperate to find out how alike we would be. I just wanted to be like someone else. And but what I was doing to my son was telling him all the things that you're unique in aren't good. Only the things that you connect with daddy on are the good things. And I had to pull that back and be like, how unique are you? How different from me are you? And how can we celebrate that in the biggest way? And that's allowed where we are similar to blossom and grow, Mm -hmm. you know, it it makes us closer because I'm not trying to force him to be me. He's not me. He's just (laughs) not, he's so sensitive and he's just the greatest, greatest kid, but he's not me. And I'm glad he won't have to struggle the way that I struggle in certain areas.
3: Well, he'll have his own. Of course. Of course. Yes. So, you know, like if I had five minutes with the two of you as parents, I would say, Laura, uh, you probably reframe things. Yes. And it would be better if you can let them be, okay. if you can let them be as they are for a longer period of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And Ryan, it'd be real good for you to, to see and study whether or not people can hear you, not understand what you're saying, but that, can they hear it? Are mm-hmm. you saying it in a way that they can hear you? And so the point is, do you want to be heard or do you want to say it your way? Right. Yeah, And Laura, the point Mm -hmm. is, can you be with your kids or others in their pain or is it so painful for you that you just need to reframe it real quickly for everybody? Right. And that's one example with only two numbers of things that change your children's lives that have nothing to do with knowing their numbers. Right, or what animal
1: they are. Mm. Exactly. I love you keep bringing that back up. It's so important as a parent to hear that. It's so important to keep that repetition in my brain. Of it's more important to figure out who I am and how to relate. Because you're exactly right. I'd throw myself under the bus when I feel like I'm not being heard. I just raise my voice. Right. Because you'll hear me, but it's just saying the way I want to say it. It's not. No one's hearing me. Now they're just paying attention. But they're not yeah. listening. And it's not sinking in. It's just I'll put my eyes on you and I'll give you the scared look on my face because something's going on, but it's certainly yeah. not reaching the heart. It's not reaching in here.
3: Mm. Well, it's not an honest representation of your heart.
1: Nope.
3: Yeah. So I want to let's run through the animals so mm. that y'all yeah. don't get a thousand emails about what they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, ones are worker bees. Twos are kangaroos. Now, let me tell you what you need to do. If you're a parent, you need to read about these animals because we, Joey, actually, my daughter, who's doing some teaching with us and she and her husband are doing anagram parenting work. She decided that the best way for us to figure this out would be if she researched animals. Perfect. And then assigned Enneagram numbers to animals instead of assigning animals to Enneagram numbers.
2: <gasps> yeah, that's smart and genius.
1: Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> love your family.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh. me too.
3: So um, twos are kangaroos, threes are eagles, fours are butterflies, fives are owls, sixes are bunny rabbits, sevens are monkeys, eights are lions, and nines are turtles. Okay. So when I use that in post-adoption circles, Mm -hmm. I could say to a mama who is a lion, who we all know that when parents are anxious to have a child and for whatever reason can't and decide to adopt children, they have put a lot of energy into what kind of parent they're going to be Mm. and all things that they're going to offer their children and all the things they want their children to have that they didn't have. All of that is good motivation. It's a good thing, but it may not be what your child is suited to receive. And so they may need you to get to know them, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think all children need us as parents to get to know ourselves. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: And to always ask the question, what effect do I have on you? Like, what effect do I have on you two right now? Mm-hmm. What effect do I have on my grandchildren? Do they move toward me or do they move away from me? Mm-hmm. Do they get a physical look when they're talking to me like they don't know what I'm saying? Do that right? Like, all of those are good questions that literally are something that we can do something about.
2: Hmm. Mm, I love it. There's the solution.
1: Talk a little bit about the three stances in relation to that. That's a really interesting one. So like when I'm talking to my kids and there's those three stances that I'm looking for. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Okay. Fours, fives, and nines are doing repressed and they are. And
1: doing repressed means what?
3: Well, it means that they're hesitant to do. Nines are always doing something but it's usually not what needs to be done. Mm. They don't prioritize well. Fives spend a lot of time planning to do. (laughs) So they plan and plan, but they don't do the thing. And Mm. then they plan something else for a while. And fours do what they like to do. So fours kind of chase shiny things. They get lost in, I don't want to do paperwork. I don't want to do these details. I want to do this thing over here. That means that they are thinking and feeling dominant one way or another. So in force, they are in the feeling triad. So they have feelings first, but then force think about their feelings. Okay. And then they get lost in thinking about their feelings until they have some more feelings.
1: Mm.
3: And then they think about those feelings. So lots of. Not all, but lots of artists are fours. Lots of musicians are fours. Oh, sure. They got to bring up thinking to ever get what they've created onto paper to get it done. That involves doing, right? You have to do something with all that. Yes. Three sevens and eights are feeling repressed. So that means that you're thinking and doing dominant and you need to work on bringing up feelings. But all of you think you have feelings. Threes, because the core numbers take in information differently. So threes take in the world with feelings, but they don't use feelings to process what they've taken in. Hmm. So they set feelings aside. Yeah. Sevens think that they have all these feelings, and it's true, but it's just a half range of feelings, and it's the happy half. And you're put together in a way that you avoid the other half of an emotional range that you have to learn to encounter and experience and hold on to and not reframe and bring up and all that. Yep. Aids are passionate and they substitute that for feelings. And so if you're feeling repressed, that means you manage life with thinking and doing. So that means you don't get distracted by other people and how they're reacting and how they're responding. You are just thinking and doing and thinking and doing and accomplishing and accomplishing and accomplishing. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, once twos and sixes are thinking repressed and that's offensive. All of these are offensive, right? People don't love to hear this and they argue with it and I usually win. But once twos and sixes are thinking repressed and they believe they think all the time. So if you're enneagram wise, you know that ones have a constant critic. That is a voice they've lived with since they were children
2: mm. that
3: tells them how bad they are all the time. Mm. All and this voice—the critic—never gives you an at a girl. Never. It's never a compliment. It's always you're dumb, you're stupid, you should have known better, you shouldn't have done that. Mm.
2: And will they voice that, or that will just be something on the inside? It's, it's happening in the inside, but Noah,
3: the one that I think is a one, when he was about six, I guess he said to his daddy, uh, "Daddy, do you hear voices that other people don't hear?" And Corey said, "Well, no, I don't." Noah, do you? And Noah said, "Yeah." And Corey said, "Well, what are they saying?" Because he knows the Enneagram. And Noah said, "I don't want to tell you. Uh-huh.
2: They're not." Yeah.
3: yeah. And you can watch children who you think might be ones, uh-huh. and they'll be long, kind of playing, and then all of a sudden they'll stop and back up, and it's like they got in trouble in their head. Yeah. Right. So twos, when you tell them they're thinking repressed, say that can't be. I think all the time. And we do think all the time, but 80 to 85% of the time, we're thinking about relationships. Oh. Just relationships. And as it turns out, there are other things in life that you need to think about besides (laughs) relationships. Yes. And sixes are in the fear triad with fives and sevens. Mm. And they manage their fear with worst case scenario planning. So sixes are always planning for the worst thing that could happen and what they're going to do if it does. And they believe that that's thinking and it is, but it's not productive thinking because most of the things they plan for don't ever happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can tell, you can tell now I'm, I'm opposed to Karen Horneye eye language when it's applied to the Enneagram. I don't agree that they move against people. I think they stand independently And it feels to people like they're moving against them.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm
3: -hmm. All right. So aggressive numbers, threes, sevens, and eights, that they either move away from people or they stand independently. Ones, twos, and sixes are dependent numbers, and they move toward people. Right?
2: Yeah.
3: And fives and nines back up. So I may need to clean that up. Fours, fives, and nines move away from people. One, two, and sixes move toward people. Three sevens and eights stand independent. You can watch children and know whether or not they're doing that. Yep.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Easy.
3: Man. You can Uh, see it on the cul-de-sac when the kids are playing. Yep. Yeah, until we tell our children to move toward the other children. And then they do it in order to please us, but it's not they intuitively are. Yep. And so that's where personality comes from. They have to add another layer of personality in order to do all that. So, you know, I go all over the country teaching people about who they're not.
2: <laughs> who you mm-hmm. who you
3: are is who you were created by God to be in your essence, which is underneath all of this. All of it. This is just our way of making our way in the world. Wow. Yeah.
2: Perfect.
1: Oh, Suzanne, we have we've got to close it, but my goodness, this has been fantastic. Whoa, enlightening. Yes enlightening my goodness we got to have you back on for sure um well, thank
2: you so much i
3: really cannot wait you. to meet your
1: kids and thank they're, they're you
2: fine. yeah and thank it's you to to joel joel we appreciate
1: you yes thank you so much this has been just amazing it's just been amazing we really appreciate you thank you have a great day we'll talk to you soon
3: y'all take care of the kids we will thank We you. will for
1: sure Thanks for listening, Rebels. We appreciate you. Thanks to Suzanne Stabile for coming on the podcast today. Thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist.com slash rebel parenting. 15-minute summaries of nonfiction books. I am now reading The Richest Man in Babylon in a 15-minute summary. They call them blinks. I love it. 15-minute little blink tells you what the book is about to let you know whether you've got all you needed or do you need to read the rest of the book. Find out more at Blinkist.com slash Rebel Parenting. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com slash Rebel Parenting. Thanks also to the voice of the martyrs, helping those being persecuted around the globe for more than 50 years. Persecution.com is their website. God bless rebels. We'll see you soon.
0: Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House, and when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting—and everyone does—you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word Rebel to four 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 nine nine nine. That's R E B E L, and the number is four 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 nine nine nine. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.